Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come again before your holy throne to worship you because you are worthy of worship and honor. To worship your son, Jesus Christ, who also is worthy of honor and blessing. We worship you, Lord, to thank you for the blessed salvation that you have given us in Christ Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for the imperishable hope that you have bestowed upon us. And Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit who has given us a new life, a spiritual life, and who has given us faith and repentance. We pray and thank you for his teaching of the gospel, giving us understanding, illuminating these things that we may see Christ, that we may be blessed by the teaching of his word. And so, Lord, I pray now that you grant us the ears to hear what says the Lord. May you open up the scriptures for us that we may see what the Spirit is teaching. We pray and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. John 8, verse 29. John 8, verse 29. Last week, I didn't realize that I actually had not even talked about John 29. I mean, John 8, 29. Yeah, I did not. And if I had done so, would have had the longest sermon, like probably three and a half hours long. I actually intend to do a six-hour sermon nonstop, just be talking about Christ. <laughs> I think it's possible. It can be done. Apostle Paul did it. And somebody by the name of Eutychus fell and... <laughs> he was sleeping and he fell. <laughs> And Apostle Paul came and resuscitated him back to life and continued with this sermon. <laughs> like nothing happened. John eight twenty nine. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. Our sermon title is John eight twenty nine. Or... I always do those things that please the Father, which is John 8, 29. <laughs> we have a lot of theology to teach. It's a lot of understanding to share. We have to understand the gospel. And the gospel message can be understood because God has clearly taught it. And a lot of preachers are not preaching the gospel. They are saying some things about Christ, but they are not preaching the gospel. And a lot of people, what they think is the gospel is not the gospel. They are making the gospel about themselves and their response to the gospel. Our response to the gospel is not the gospel. Jesus Christ is the gospel. The work of Christ, the finished work of Christ is the gospel. The Holy Spirit is not the gospel. God the Father is not the gospel. Jesus Christ is the gospel. The life, death, and resurrection of Christ is the gospel. So Jesus said, when the Son of Man has been lifted up on the cross, which 
lifting up as we have been learning was led. He by that was also saying when he has been lifted up from the grave and lifted up to the right hand of God, all shall know that it is he. It is he, the son of God. It is he, the Lord, our savior, the Lord, our righteousness. And by being lifted up on the cross, he is doing that which pleases the father. For he always does that which pleases the father. Saving those that the father gave to him so that none is lost. It pleases the father that of all those that he gave to Christ, none is lost. And Jesus says he does nothing without the father. He is always in union with the father. The father and him are one. The father is in him and he is in the father. And his union with the father is one of love and continual obedience. And you and I are unable, we are not able to continuously love and obey with the right motives. And that is our problem. But Jesus said in John 4.34, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And in John 5.30, he said, I can of myself do nothing as I hear I judge and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will but the will of the Father who sent me. So the Son always pleases the Father because he always does the will of the Father and he alone has such testimony that he truly and in every way pleased God. A lot of professing, a lot of people, even professing Christians, think that they can please God, or that God is pleased with them just because they exist. Some think God has their names and their kindergarten photo (laughs) somewhere on his refrigerator in heaven. And is really longing for them to come that he may give them a bear hug. And once they show up in heaven, heaven will never be the same like that one preacher at the death of Whitney Houston. Heaven will never be the same again because Whitney Houston is there. God has just been so waiting for Whitney to come to heaven to make him complete. That thinking, unfortunately, is popular in the imagination of many who do not know the God of the Bible. But it is a false teaching. It's a false theology. It makes God desperate and in need of his creatures. But God is not in need of his creatures. If he was in need of them, he would only serve the cute, the wise the strong, the powerful, the handsome, the rich, and those who have hair. 
And that will discount Brother Guido. It's out. <laughs> but the scriptures say, in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 29, For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. Someone asked the question, why did it take God that long to create human beings? And the answer given was, because he was showing us that he does not need us. And that is exactly the point. If we are to understand anything, we have to understand that God does not need us. And everything he does is because of his relation to Jesus. God's chief interest is himself and his son and the glory of his son. And Jesus Christ is the glory of God. Jesus is the center of all things and is the reason of all things. He is the reason why all things exist. Romans eleven thirty six. For of him... He is the source of all things. And through him, he mediates all things. He brings about everything that is. And to him, which means to his glory, are all things. To whom be glory forever. Amen. Jesus Christ is the apple of God's eyes. God loves Jesus because he loves himself. And only God has the right to love himself. Everybody else, when they do it, every time that a creature actually loved itself, it was because of sin, pride. All creatures are commanded not to love themselves, but to love others. The scriptures never teach anywhere, like Oprah teaches, that, oh, you have to love yourself. No. The scriptures teach that you love others. Why? Because there's no reason for us to love ourselves. Jesus is loved of God because he is worthy of affection. He is glorious and majestic. Angels and many around the throne say with a loud voice in Revelation 5.12, Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Worthy is the lamb. You and I are not worthy to receive power, riches, wisdom, might, honor, glory and blessing because we did not and could not redeem anyone. If you read again Revelation 5.12, the basis on which Christ is 
said to be worthy is because of his work. If you can't redeem anyone, then you can only live by grace. If you can't redeem anyone, you can only live by grace. Jesus did not live by grace. Jesus lived by merit. We are only alive. The only reason why we are not consumed because of our sin is by grace. No other way. We are nothing outside Christ. And for that reason, God does not want us to be raising our hind legs to think that we are something when we are nothing. God appointed that Jesus should mediate in all things of God. Jesus is in the middle in the Holy Trinity of Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He is the mediator of all creation for all things are said to have been created through him. Through him. He was in the middle when he was crucified. He is the mediator of death and life, which means he goes between death and life. He is the judge, the divider, the mediator between the living and the dead. So the Holy Trinity is Christocentric. Salvation is Christocentric. Creation is Christocentric. And the glory of God is Christocentric. That is, it centers on the person of Jesus Christ. And so to understand salvation, its purpose, its hope, its glory, its assurance, we have to understand that it is all about Jesus Christ. It is he who pleases the Father, and the Father is pleased with him. Union of Christ and the Father. Union theology is very important for us to understand the work of salvation. It is important for us to understand who God is. In John 14, verses 8 to 11, Jesus was talking to his disciples. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. And it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father? Listen to the union language. Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. John 14, 19 to 20. A little while longer, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live and you live also. At that day you will know that I am in my Father. And you in me and I in you. At that day you will know that I am in my Father. 
and you in me and I in you. There's some serious union. Christ is in the Father. Now, we are in Christ and Christ is in us. Which means we are also in the Father because Christ is in the Father. The Father and the Son are inseparably united to each other. And so is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, what can be said of the Son with regards to union with God can also be said of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is also in union with God as Christ is in union with God. And the Holy Spirit is in us to mediate Christ's presence in us. When we have the Holy Spirit in us, we have Christ in us. But here the Father's testimony of his love for the Son. The Father says, this is Matthew twelve eighteen, but Matthew was quoting Isaiah 42, verse 1. He says, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I'll put my spirit upon him and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. And in Matthew 3.17, Jesus' baptism, we are told, and suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17.5, we are told, while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Jesus is he who the Father loves, and has always been the object of God's love. And the Father is well pleased with him, and now that is an excellent testimony to say God is pleased with you. You could never have a better testimony than that. That God, the creator of heaven and earth, is pleased with you. When God demonstrates his attribute of love, it is seen foremost in how he loves the Son. God does not love us for us. But we are loved because of Christ. God did not save us because of our misery. Because if God were saving humans because of their misery, then he has to save everybody. But he does not save everybody. He still leaves many to their misery. He saved us because of his love for Jesus. His love for us is derived from his love of Christ. If we remove Jesus between us and God, we are tossed. There's absolutely no hope for us. When we say we are loved because of Christ, we are saying this. I love Carmen because of Guido. I don't like you, Carmen. I'm kidding. 
You're one of my favorite people. Okay? We, we are saying that someone is being loved because of the relationship that they have with respect to another person. Okay? And so we, as Christians, we are loved because of Christ. The object of God's love is Christ. And because we are in Christ, we are loved because of Christ. But because we are in Christ, and God loves Christ, then there's nothing that can be done by anyone to remove us from the love of God that is in Christ. So we shall always be loved because of Christ. But how has God demonstrated his love for Jesus? John 5, 19-23 Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do, for whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. Verse 20 For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. The Son does all the things that the Father does. And the Father shows the Son all things that he does himself. And one of those things is salvation. And this is all done to show God's love for the Son. That is what is driving what is happening. Everything that has been said so far in John 5, 19 to 23 is derived from the fact that the Father loves the Son. The Father raises the dead and gives them life. And so the Son also gives life to whomever he wills. And that means the Son is God. As the Father is God. For God alone can raise the dead. God alone can give life. The Son forgives sin and gives life to whomever he wills. And that means he also is sovereign. As the Father is sovereign. He gives life to whomever he wills. So life is given by the Son. He is the one, according to his own pleasure, determines who receives the gift of life and who does not. That's sovereignty. The Father demonstrates his love for the Son by committing all judgment to him. Why? For the purpose that the Son may be honored as the Father is honored. And so salvation is a work given to the Son by the Father that the Son may be honored because the Son always pleases the Father. Do you see where we're going? If you want to honor God, there's only one way. There's only one way to honor God. You honor the Son. 
you kiss the sun. God says, don't talk to me outside Jesus. He will give you the back of his hand. I'll kill you if you try to talk to me outside my son. Talk to Jesus if you want to talk to me in peace. That's the message of the gospel. Come through Jesus if you have to come to me. God shows his love for the son in Revelation. God shows his love for the son in Revelation and in the giving of all things. Listen to this. In John 3.35, John records for us and says, The father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. You see the cause and effect. The father loves the son, and because he loves the son, he has given him all things. He has given all things into the power and authority of the son. And to this very point, Jesus himself said in Matthew eleven twenty seven, All things have been handed over to me by my father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. Because the Son pleases the Father, God the Father has subjected, given all things to the power and authority of the Son. And in the giving of that authority, Over all flesh, he also has been given the power to determine who knows what about God. The power of revelation and judicial hardening. There's no one who understands Jesus by whatever I say. It doesn't matter how good a preacher anyone is. There's not a single person who knows anything about Jesus. Unless Jesus reveals it. That's exactly what is happening. I am just a loudspeaker. If you put the power out, nothing's going to come through. The father hides the son according to Jesus. No one knows the son except the father. Nor does anyone know the father except the son. The father hides the son from people. And the reason why all these people are unbelievers is because God has hid Christ from them. It's not because we are bad at preaching the gospel. And the son hides the father from people and they can only be known by revelation and the son has the right, he is the mediator of revelation. The prerogative to reveal the father to only as many as he wills. That's sovereign grace. And the father has given the son this authority because he pleases the father and always does the will of his father. Christ has always pleased God from eternity. But the love of God for the son has also been demonstrated by what God has given to the son. Humans were not the first to wrap gifts and presents. And give them to the ones they love. Giving is not a human invention. It is a God thing. 
we learn that from God. If God has to show his love for the son, like a good and holy father who truly loves, he has to give his son things to possess. He gave his son a people. This is the best thing that he could give his son. He gave his son a people that would save and honor him. A people that would be formed after the image, not of the angels, but of the son. God loves Jesus so much that he determined to make more of him. Through conforming us whom he chose in Christ to bear the image of the son. And thus we were predestined to be conformed to the image of the son of God. Why? Because God wants to see Jesus only in you and not the self. John 6, 37. Jesus then would say, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. God the Father demonstrated his love for the Son by giving him a people to serve. And the son was pleased to bring many sons to God because he always pleases the father. And all these that were given to the son will come to Jesus. It will not fail to happen, and these, when they come to him, will by no means be cast out. This is not a teaching of free will. There's no free will here. People are missing the cause and effect. The ones that were given to Christ will come to Christ. And when they come to Christ, they are not coming because of free will. They are coming to Christ because of the Father drawing them to Christ. And the Holy Spirit leading them to Christ. And Christ revealing himself to them. That's the gospel. It is those that the Father gave the Son that will come to the Son and nobody else. And they will not be cast out because the Father gave them to him as his possession. They are Christ's possession. They have to come to Christ. The Father will make sure that they will come to the Son by drawing them, even dragging them to Christ. Even kicking and screaming, he will drag them to Christ. Even if he has to lay them down in the hospital, that's what he does because he has to bring Christ's possession to Christ. When they are repossessing cars, they don't care. They can drive the car. If they're not able to drive the car for some reason, they're going to lift it and put it on some truck. They are dragging it. It's coming. Okay? (laughs) It's coming. It's their car. They're going to take it. So if you belong to Christ. God is going to drag you. Whether I like it or not, you're coming. So the Holy Spirit will make sure they will come to the Son by making them spiritually alive. And the Son will make sure they are not lost by giving his life for them as the ransom when he is lifted up on the cross. He secured the life of the ship by giving his own life for them. He redeemed them by his blood 
Why? Because when they were given to him, they were not looking pretty. They had a lot of issues. <laughs> they did not have their ducks in a row, Brother Stan. They were given to the son as the fallen, that he would, by his own obedience, by his own work, make them holy and blameless before him. And he made them pretty. He made them righteous by the redemption that is in the blood of the son. So the ones who were given to Christ were given as the fallen. They had to come to Christ only through the work of Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 to 12. This has to be understood if we have to understand the gospel. This explains God's sovereign will and purpose in salvation. Salvation is not a random exercise. Salvation is not some political power trying to energize their base and trying to get more people to vote for them. Salvation is not anything like that. Jesus is not looking for votes. Ephesians 1, 3-12. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him, that is in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. Verse 7. In him, that is in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. That is a very thick theological statement. It needs a lot of unpacking. And even after I'm done unpacking it, I will still not be done unpacking it. But what is that saying? In the context of what we are learning. Verse 3. God the Father has blessed us. Past tense. It's already happened. We are already blessed. And in what way have we been blessed? With every spiritual blessing that is in the heavenly 
places in Christ. It's not about your best life now. It's not about God getting you a new car. It's not about the blessings of Christ are spiritual blessings. What are those spiritual blessings? Righteousness, sanctification, holiness, adoption, glorification, eternal life. These are the spiritual blessings that you need in order to have your life in Christ. God the Father chose us. He is the one who did the choosing of all those that he gave to Christ. For what reason? Why did God choose these in Christ? That we should be holy and without blame before him. That we should be holy and blameless before God. We were chosen that we should be made holy. It's not saying that we should be holy and blameless by ourselves. But that we should be made holy and blameless by Christ's doing. But when did he do the choosing? When did God the Father do the choosing? Verse 4. Before the foundation of the world. Election is an eternal decree of God. And has nothing to do with foreseen faith. Or your response to the gospel. Or lack of response to the gospel. God did not look through the proverbial telescope of time. And see who was going to believe in Christ. And on that basis, choose them. That's false. You only respond to the gospel because you are elect. Because you were chosen. You are not elect because you filled a form, raised a hand, walked an aisle, and chose Jesus. You are elect because God the Father chose you by grace in Christ. Verse 5. God predestined us. To predestine means to mark out beforehand. To mark out beforehand. And Christians are those who were marked out beforehand by God that they should be adopted as sons and be holy and blameless before him. And that is what it means to be a saint. A saint is the one who has been mugged out by God. It's not about feeding the poor. Otherwise, Oprah and company will be the chief of saints. God the Father decreed that we should be adopted as sons through his son whom he loves. And why the language of adoption? Adopted sons or children have the same rights and privileges as the natural sons. And that is what God has done for us in Christ. He has made us natural sons through adoption in Christ Jesus. And legally that makes us eligible to receive all the blessings of God. Because only sons 
are eligible for an inheritance. And unless we have been made sons through adoption in Christ, there's no way that God would bless us with every blessing in Christ Jesus. So God has given us all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ, which blessings are only the prerogative for natural sons. So God just loves Jesus. God loves Jesus so much that he had to have more of him. So we are adopted kids and our adoption is through the mediation of the sonship of Christ. It does not happen by the Holy Spirit. We are not adopted by the Holy Spirit. We are not adopted by the Father. We are adopted through the mediation of the Son. And this adoption was not because of the sorry condition of those who were adopted. And neither was it because of their goodness. God did not pick out the good ones or the ones that had flies on their faces and nose. Rather, it was according to the good pleasure of his will. That is the reason given. According to the good pleasure of his will, the good pleasure of God is his sovereign will. And that means it is found in his own purpose and is all about him. And the good pleasure of his will was to the praise of his grace. Follow that. These are very complex theological things, but it's all talking about God. The good pleasure of God's will was to the praise of his grace. God wants his grace to be praised. God, therefore, purposed sin and salvation so that his grace may be praised. That's the only way the grace of God will be praised. In salvation because of sin. And you would think and say, what about the angels that never sinned? How do they praise God for grace? They praise God for grace because some of them fell. So they know the only reason why they have a standing before God is because of grace. He kept them from stumbling. And that's why they're called the holy angels chosen by grace. So God purposed sin and salvation so that his grace may be praised. And so God in giving a people to his son and adopting them through him, it was to the end that his grace may be praised. Jesus could not come and save good people. Good people do not need to be saved in the first place. But Jesus could not come and save good people. There's no praise to God for bringing good people to heaven. There's no praise given to God's grace if people were not fallen. No exaltation of Christ as the lamb slain before the foundation of the world if there are no fallen people to save. So sin is the dark background that makes the diamond of Christ and God's grace to shine brightly and gloriously. And we have been made accepted not by our own goodness or by our own works, but we have been accepted in the beloved 
in Christ Jesus. God will only accept you one way. In, by, and through the person of Christ. And his grace alone to this end has to be praised and shall be praised when the Son of Man is lifted up. So you see, this is all about God and his glory. But how did we get to be holy and blameless before him? It was not by not watching movies. That horror film is going to send you to hell. It was not by giving up chicken wings for Lent. Not by being good, not by being moral. To be holy and blameless means to be righteous. As God is righteous. There is only one way to be made holy and blameless. And this is how God made you holy and righteous. Verse 7 of Ephesians 1. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. We are only holy and blameless in him by the redemption in his blood and the forgiveness of our sins in his blood and no other way. And that is why Apostle Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 1.30, but of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So Jesus Christ is your wisdom, your righteousness, your sanctification and redemption. You have no wisdom outside Christ. You have no righteousness outside Christ. No sanctification, no holiness, and no redemption. The forgiveness of sins is only through the blood of Christ. And that is what redeemed you and I from sin and death. And earned you and I the title of being adopted as the children of God. So our redemption was through the blood of Christ. As all creation, the old and the new, were through Christ. The new creation is born again, recreated through Christ. And he is the mediator between God and man And so, you can only approach God through Christ and not Muhammad. Verse 7, part B. The forgiveness of sins was according to the riches of his grace. The richness of the grace of God is sin. See the connection. In the forgiveness of sins. So, without God forgiving your sin, sister, the cell, there's no way... That you'll be singing amazing grace. The richness of the grace of God is seen in the forgiveness of sins and not in a private jet (laughs) or money in the bank. The Lord delights in forgiving your sins. The bigger a sinner you are, the more the riches of his grace are on display. And that is why Apostle Paul would say in Romans 5.20, But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. But grace is found in God and is thus infinite. And thus grace will always 
much more abound. So when we are invited to come to the throne of grace, we are being invited to come to Christ because it's Christ who's sitting on the throne. And that is good news for sinners. It's very, very good news for sinners because it means God is able and has enough grace to forgive the worst of sinners like you, like me, like the murderer, like the rapist, like the drug dealer, the addict, the abortionist, and the aborted. Because a lot of people will say, okay, so what, what is God going to do with all these children who die without hearing the gospel? I'm like, what are you thinking? I talk nonsense like that. He is never short of grace to save anybody. He will save them as he pleases, and he will display them as vessels of grace. For grace was given for the weak, for the ungodly, for the enemies of God who are without strength. Grace is able to save all this. And so verse 9 will say, Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. So God has made known to us the mystery of his will. Mystery does not mean that's something that is hard to understand. It just says something that was hidden, something that was unknown to the uninitiated. So we as Christians have been initiated into what was hidden and unknown about God's purpose. And this mystery was according to his good pleasure, his sovereign will, and that means it was according to what was good in his own sight, and he purposed this mystery of choosing us in Christ and decreeing for us to be sinners, that we may be adopted to be sons of God through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And this was not a plan that he hedged with, with angels or with those that would choose him or the devil, like some preachers say, or when God chose you, the devil was there to cast the no vote. No, the devil was not even created when you were chosen in Christ. And neither was this plan made after Adam botched up the first plan. This was always the purpose of God. God does not plan and have a contingent plan, a backup plan just in case it rains. No tornado shelter just in case the winds blow strong. He always purposes to do things and what he purposes is what is done. And so he purposed for man to fall. And to shut all under the hopelessness of sin that all those that were given to Christ may be redeemed by Christ to the praise of his glory. And God's purpose in all this was, verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. So the mystery of God's will 
was for us to come to God through Christ and not the first Adam. And that we should become children of God, not through the obedience of the first Adam, but in and through the obedience of Christ. And this adoption to be sons or children of God was for the end of summing up, of heading up all things, things which are in heaven and things which are on earth in Christ Jesus. This is very important theology. It's just way important theology and preachers don't teach it right. If you don't understand this, the summing up of all things in Christ, you will never understand anything and cannot preach the gospel. You're always going to be saying all kinds of foolish things. You will lose your salvation as many times as you go to church. And you regain it as many times as you go to confession or walk the aisle or rededicate your life again to Jesus. If you don't understand that salvation is about Christ, is about the glorification of Christ, is about the summing up of all things in Christ Jesus, there is no assurance of salvation. And the summing up of all things by Apostle Paul as he is teaching, is the equivalent of John saying, the Father has given all things to the Son, that all may honor the Son as the Father is honored. Same theology, same Christ, same exaltation. Why? Because the Father loves the Son, and the Son always pleases the Father, and the Father is exalting the Son. Verse 11 and 12, Ephesians 1. In him... In Christ, also we have obtained an inheritance. So you see, this is what has happened as a result of you being adopted. You get adopted and you are eligible to become an heir. So we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. So we are now co-heirs with Christ. We have our inheritance in Christ. And this was also by God's predestinating will. And this he also did according to the counsel of his will. Which means he only consulted himself. No suggestion box in heaven. And that is the Holy Spirit telling us that God is sovereign in all his ways. He does all things according to his own good pleasure. And so, we have said all that to say. God's love for Jesus Christ is the reason of the way things are. Is the reason why salvation is exactly the way that it is. It is the reason why Adam fell. It is the reason why the law was given. It is the reason why Christ came in the flesh. It is the reason why he died and was buried and resurrected and ascended on the right hand of God. It's all because the father intends to exalt his son. Christ has been made the mediator of all things. 
mediator in creation, mediator in providence. He holds all things by the word of his power. And he has all things consisting in him. All things are headed up in him, things in heaven, things on earth and underneath the earth. God loves Jesus. And so he made all things to the service of the glory of the Son. All things glorify the Son. And when the Son is glorified, then God the Father is glorified. So the cross is a work of glorifying the Son. It is so important to the glory of Christ. So don't you ever minimize the work of Christ on the cross and say, oh, Christ did this, but that was not sufficient for my salvation. I am going to kick in my 2% by my 10th. I'm going to do this that I may be saved. No, you can't be saved outside the cross. God the Father gave a people to the Son that they should be his possession. He chose them in Christ. And that means Jesus Christ was the reason or merit of why these were chosen. They were not chosen for their own sake, but were chosen by grace in Christ for Christ's sake. They were put in Christ. That is, they were contained in Christ as Noah was contained in the ark. So they were put in union with Christ as Jonah was in the belly of the fish. Why? Because God was teaching union. God is a God of union. He is a God of communion. And union theology is very important for us to understand salvation. It is very important for us to understand how we actually are saved in Christ. And that is why in Ephesians, we are constantly hearing the Apostle Paul saying, we are blessed in Christ, chosen in Christ, predestined to adoption in Christ. We have redemption in his blood. We have been claimed as God's own possession in Christ. Our union with Christ began with God the Father choosing us and putting us in him. He did not choose us on the basis, as I said, of good works or for sin, faith. Because when you say that, you are now saying God is choosing people based on foreseen merit. And that merit, whatever it is, is something that some human beings by themselves were able to kick in, were able to self-generate. But the scriptures say in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, For who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? So the differences between men in everything, in everything that they are, are not because of men. They do not come from men. They do not come from some being more diligent at planning and thinking and working than others. It is God 
who causes each to differ for his own purpose. And so to say that God chose those whom he foresaw would believe is false. It's false. God chose people in Christ according to the election of grace. And that means without any merit in the people that were chosen. Grace and merit do not go in the same sentence. One is saved either by their own merit or by grace. It's one or the other. Romans eleven six 6 says, And if by grace, it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. If salvation is by merit, even the merit of foreseen faith, then it ceases to be by grace. For grace admits of no contribution of any kind by those who are being saved. If salvation is by merit of any kind that is found in the sinner, then salvation is bestowed on them as something that they end. It means they kicked in something. That caused them to stand out before God that other lazy, less diligent, no tithers were not able to give. But what do the scriptures say? We are finishing soon. But what do the scriptures say? Romans 4, 4 to 5. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. To him who works for their salvation, that is one who is working to be justified, that is one who stands on their own goodness to be accepted by God as righteous as to end eternal life. Their works end them Wages. So righteousness and eternal life become wages that God pays them for their work. So now God is obligated to give salvation as something odd that is as debt. And once you do that, you can't speak of grace anymore. The wages that you earn at work are not grace from your company. Your paycheck nowhere says, for this pay period, here is the grace that you end. No, you don't end grace. You end wages. And your paycheck is given as something owed to you for the work that you did. Grace is only given and is freely given without any merit whatsoever from the one who receives it. And God saves only by grace and no other way. Grace is not some other way that God saves people. Grace is the only way that God saves people. Because grace removes any grounds of a sinner to boast before God. Sinners will boast if any part of salvation was up to them. They would print certificates. Diplomas. Put pictures on billboards, blow trumpets, 
to say, look at me, look at what I did, I ended. I completed the seven steps. So don't talk to me. Don't talk to me. <laughs> but the scriptures say, but to him who does not work, but does what? But believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. And so the one who does not try to get a standing before God by their own works, who does not try to clean themselves up, that they may be accepted by God, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted, imputed, is charged to them, credited to them for righteousness. So do you see the problem? The problem in the equation of salvation is this. The one who needs to be justified is described as ungodly. And there's only one way for such a one to be justified. It is if God freely justifies them. It is if he, without cause, gives them a righteousness that is not their own. And the only way to get such a righteousness is by believing. Why? Because faith causes one to bring nothing. Faith causes you to come naked with empty hands. It causes you to look away from you to Christ. Saving faith always looks away from you to Christ for acceptance by God. And so salvation is by faith alone because it is of grace alone. And it is of grace alone because God does not tolerate boasting. And it is of grace alone because all the merits of salvation are given in Christ. Christ's merits alone are the basis of you being chosen, being sanctified, justified, and glorified. Why all this? Why is God going through all the trouble of doing all this stuff? Because he loves the son. And the son loves the father. And he always does those things that are pleasing to him. And so God was pleased to give you to his son. And his son was pleased to please the father by doing everything, accomplishing all the work that the father asked of him to perform so as to bring you and I to himself. And that is how salvation works. The burden of your salvation was never laid on you if you were in Christ. It was always laid on the Son of God as a condition of you being saved. And Jesus Christ entered in union with you as your surety. These are things that we will talk some more and deeper whenever the Lord grants me the time. But these are things that need to be understood as to what is really happening in this work of salvation. When we were chosen in Christ, Christ entered into the covenant of grace as our surety. And as a surety, he assumed the legal responsibility of your sin, of your debt. And so Christ was made liable for the guilty 
of your sin and mine. Okay? We have to understand that. And that is why Isaiah would say, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Why is he carrying our griefs? Why is he carrying our sorrows? Unless if he had assumed some legal responsibility for them. And yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. All these things were supposed to happen to you. But he, as your surety, was stricken, smitten, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. Why is he being wounded for our transgressions? We are the ones who sinned. Why? Because he entered into union with you. He took the responsibility of your sin. And he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Or we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So as our surety, he had to be stricken. He had to be smitten, afflicted, wounded, bruised, chastised by God because of our transgressions and iniquity. And that was the condition of our peace with God. That was our justification before God. The Son always does the things that are pleasing to the Father. But we have to hear this. And because the Father is pleased with the Son, He always hears the Son. And because the Father is pleased with the Son, He always hears those who are in the Son. That's the only hope that we have to be heard by God. And the Son... If you still remember in John 11, when Lazarus died and Jesus was praying and he said, Father, I know you always hear me, but I'm praying for the sake of these who are here. What a testimony to have, for you to have the confidence to say, Father, I know you always hear me, 100%. Whatever I say, you hear me. And that's where we are because of Christ and because of our union with him. God does not hear sinners, but he hears you and I because we have been put in the one whom he hears, his son. And your salvation is 100% in that the father is well pleased by everything that Jesus did on your behalf. He was pleased with his life. He was pleased by his death. The father is well pleased with the righteousness that Jesus earned For you, he is well pleased with Jesus honoring the law on your behalf. The father is pleased with the new covenant of grace that is in the blood of his son and not in the blood of bulls and gods and not in your 10,000 covenants that you constantly make and break every year. I mean, people make covenants with God all the time. The Lord, Lord, if you just do this, if you can just open this job for me, then I'll give you 10%. If you just do this for me right now, but every time we do that, we always break the covenants. Listen to this. <laughs> God only honors one covenant, the one that he made with his son, because the son always does the things that please the father. The father had the son in the agony of his loud cries and tears, and in this 
God also had you in your agony, in your tears, and loud cries for you were in him. God had and delivered the son when he was in the agony of death. And in this, we too were delivered. Hebrews 5, verse 5 to 8. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest. But it was he who said to him, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Who in the days of his flesh when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was had because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Jesus Christ was had by God because of his piety, his reverent submission to God. It is he who fully honored every precept of God's law and nobody else. The law of God, people, is no joke. I argue with people on Facebook who say the law is still our rule of life. People love the law. People love the law. They love the law. They actually don't love the law. They think they love the law. They have a law view of the law and what the law requires. The law requires for you to be righteous even when you dream. I'm serious. The law of God demands perfection. The law of God condemns anyone who does not do it perfectly. Always. The law is a ministry of death. A ministry of condemnation. And its role never changes for a sinner. The function of the law never changes. It's there to condemn you unless Christ fulfills and removes it. And as long as you are imperfect, you shall never be able to obey the law of God. And the curse of the law is never removed once you say you are under it. Because when you submit yourself back to the law, you are also submitting yourself back to the case of the law. But Jesus fulfilled the law in union with you. Whatever the law demanded of the elect, the elect honored it through the obedience of Christ. The union of the elect with Jesus does not begin on the cross. The union of the elect with Jesus begins in election from eternity. From the decree of God. But Jesus in his incarnation was born of a woman that he may fulfill that union. That he may enjoin himself to us and us to him. And so he was born under the law which means he was subject as a man to the perfect demands of the law. And if he had missed one point he was liable of death himself and his death on the cross would not have profited anyone. If he missed one point of the law, he would have needed a sacrifice for himself to be saved from death. For he would have fallen under the same condemnation as the first Adam. Okay, But the law said, do this and you live. 
And Jesus in his flesh also was under the same command, do this and you live. And so as the son of God, he submitted himself to the father, even to the point of death on the cross. The law could not be nailed on the cross and the case removed without the law being fulfilled. The cross profits nothing if the law was not fulfilled and was not fulfilled in union with those that it condemned. If one was not united with Jesus in election, they could not be united to him in his incarnation and could not be united with him on the cross and could not be united with him after the cross. Thus the blood atonement on the cross could not save anyone who was not already united with him in his life. Very important. So to be united with Christ does not mean, as I've seen some people write, and trying to just make a lot of noise about this union theology. To be united with Christ does not mean that one sinful body was fused into the body of Jesus. Your body was not fused into the body of Jesus with his sin. No. <laughs> it means that God legally constituted the elect to be in Christ. So that whatever Jesus did, God saw them as the ones doing it. But we also have the mystery of the union after the cross. Where God through the Holy Spirit now indwells his people. It's union. It's a mystery. We don't really understand that. But that's what God says. And so, if Jesus always pleased the Father, God saw and sees those who are in him as always pleasing the Father. I've said a lot of things. But you have to understand this if you are going to have assurance. The only way that you are going to have assurance of salvation. I mean, there are many ways that we can teach assurance. If we understand union language that when God sees you he doesn't see you apart from Christ he never does see you separated from Christ and so if he is pleased with Christ he is also pleased with whoever is in Christ and so the hope of salvation is that God always sees you as always pleasing the father because of what Christ did and that is the good news of the gospel. When he looks at you, he does not see you. He sees you in Christ, hidden in Christ, hidden in the cleft of the rock. He sees you clothed with the righteousness of Christ. He sees you covered in the Passover blood, the blood of the Lamb of God. And that is what matters when it comes to salvation. Does God see the blood of his son? That's all. So, lastly, and then you can go. Then we have our next one. The father loves the son, and the son pleases the father. And the father is always pleased by all those who are in his son. And because the son always pleased the father, God says to all those who are in his son. Ecclesiastes 9, 7, and 8. Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart for God has already accepted your works. Let your garments always be white and let your head lack no oil. God says, 
Don't worry about you. Don't worry. Be happy. For you are in his son. And he has already accepted your works that were accomplished in and by his son. Stop trying to be accepted by God. You have already been accepted by God. Let your garments always be white with the righteousness of Christ. And be anointed of the Holy Spirit. Jesus always pleased the Father. And if he did not, there's no hope for you. Praise the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come and worship you and thank you that you have accepted our works that were wrought in Christ. And that our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, always did those things which pleased you. And what a wonderful testimony and hope for his people who are in him because they know their salvation is secure. They know their work of salvation is completed because Christ finished it and you accepted it. And what a blessed hope to have. Because the time is coming that men shall find out that their works have not been accepted. That their works are not sufficient to exchange for salvation. But what a blessed condition for all those who are in Christ. For they know, they know that Christ was accepted. His works were accepted on their behalf. And what glorious news it is for those who have been given ears to hear. Lord, we pray and we thank you again for your saints who are scattered all over the world that you may be with them. We ask, Lord, that you may profit this gospel message. We pray for all those who are not able to be here today for one reason or another. Lord, grant them time to hear the gospel. Our Lord, we pray and we thank you for all blessing. May you be with your people as they go in and out. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.